Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that, Lord, you would take away all the distraction and everything that would deter from the thrill of our soul, the Lord Jesus, may he become that. In Jesus' name, amen. If you turn, please, in your Bibles for our message this morning, Hebrews 10, verse 10. Hebrews 10, 10 is going to be the, uh, the portion of Scripture that we're, we're going to base ourselves on. Hebrews 10, 10. And in this passage here, we read Hebrews 10, 10. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Wherefore, the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now, where remission of these is, there's no more offering for sin. Having therefore brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. So here we are, again, we're looking at this blood of the Lord Jesus, and we started this series with Moses there standing at the foot of Mount Sinai, and Moses with the people of Israel in front of him. And this verse of this scene in Exodus 24, verse 8, Exodus 24, verse 8, where this is the scene of the day. Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words. That was the statement. Behold the blood. That opened up for the first time, really this section, this time period, for of God's way for a man to be acceptable with God. It was opened up. The people's eyes were opened to the fact that man's way of how to be acceptable with God or the way of good works was totally opposite from God's way to become acceptable with God. And this all started on one night, on the Passover night, not very long before this scene here in Mount Sinai, when the first animals were killed 
to save the people from judgment. And since that time, there were millions and millions and millions of animals over millions and millions of times for the repeated, for the people there to repeat the sacrifice and to once again think of the words of Moses, behold the blood. And this all went on until the final word from the Lord Jesus when he was on the cross in John 19.30, and then he said, it's finished. It's finished. It's accomplished. Or as it is in the last words of Psalm 22, which were probably the words that he said in Hebrew, ki asa, this has been done. It's completed. That was the final ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate blood that was shed. At that time, all that Moses said on behold the blood is what was accomplished by the Lord Jesus. And we've seen this, that his blood accomplished the removal of our sins from Hebrews 9.22. It accomplished our redemption from 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19. It accomplished the covering of our sins or the atonement of our sins. That's Leviticus 17.11. Without the shedding of blood, there is no atonement. It accomplished our reconciliation, our establishment, reestablishment, establishment of relationship with God from Ephesians 2.13. It accomplished the cleansing of our sin from 1 John 1.17. It accomplished our peace with God. Colossians 1.20, we have peace with God through the blood of his cross. It accomplished our justification with God. Romans 5.1, being justified by his blood. It accomplished the gift to us of white robes that we see in Revelation 7.14. Revelation 7.14. It accomplished our sanctification from Hebrews 13.12. And the last time we were together, it accomplished the overcoming of the devil from Revelation 12.11. Now, those were 10 blessings, 10 benefits that the blood of the Lord Jesus accomplished, and that's what he was referring to when he said, it's finished. But this list of this 10, it's just part It's just part of what the blood of the Lord Jesus accomplished for us when he said it's finished in John 19.30. But from this partial list of the accomplishments of the blood of the Lord Jesus, we see another one, which is the passage that we're in now. Hebrews 10.19. Hebrews 10.19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. So this accomplishment, a boldness, to enter into the presence of the holiest, the holy of holies by the blood of Jesus, this brings us back to the tabernacle. We have set the tabernacle in our mind and remember that God had a purpose for the tabernacle, Moses' tabernacle, there in the wilderness. And before he went into the elaborations on how it was all to be constructed and what the materials were to be and who was to make what and who was to carry what and who was to set it up and all the services of the tabernacle, before he did any of that, what happened was that the Lord gave the purpose, the overall purpose for why the tabernacle was made. And he did this in a very short, succinct statement in Exodus 25.8. In Exodus 25, if you go to the tabernacle model in Santee at the Creation Earth History Museum, you will see in the middle of the tabernacle this verse because it's the purpose for the tabernacle, and it says in Exodus 25, 8, let them make me a sanctuary 
that I may dwell among them. That's God's purpose. That's what he wanted to accomplish. He wanted to, God's desire was to dwell among his people. After so long a time of separation from God, the people there in Israel, 400 years, now at last when Moses builds his tabernacle, they have a place. They have a place where they know God wants to dwell with them and where they can meet with God. And the actual meeting place where God met with man was not in the outer court of the tabernacle as there were three parts, not in the holy place in that chamber, that room there, but in the innermost chamber called the Holy of Holies. And there was just one problem, just one problem. There was a great barrier for man that kept him out of the Holy of Holies meeting place with God. God was so close to Israel It was right in the middle of their camp, but he was so blocked from Israel because it didn't matter how much you, as a person in Israel, wanted to meet with God. And if you started to yell, I want to meet with God, I want to meet with God, and you ran into the Holy of Holies, you'd be struck dead. You'd be struck dead. As a matter of fact, there was really only one person who could go into the Holy of Holies, and that was only one day of the year That person could enter into the Holy of Holies to meet with God. That person was the high priest. That day was the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur. And even for that one person, the high priest for that time of the year, it was dangerous. It was dangerous for him because he had to enter with blood. He had to enter with blood of the sacrifice. And if that sacrifice and that blood was not accepted, he would be struck dead. The high priest would be struck dead. And for everyone else entering into where God was impossible for them because they were barred. They were barred by, first of all, the holy place that was in front and then by the veil that kept them out of the holy of holies. And so this hope raised, and it was a hope raised in Exodus 25.8. Just think of it. If you were there and you said, you know, God said he wants a sanctuary made so that he can dwell among us. That was hope rising within a person who heard that. But it was also a deep frustration as each person was really barred from entering in where God was. And if you said to somebody, why don't you just go where God is? Why don't you just go into the Holy of Holies there? person, if they were sane, they would shudder with fear and they would say, no way, no way, I'm not suicidal. That means certain immediate death. I don't want to die. And that thick veil was what really caused a deep longing in the heart of people with one question, how? How will it ever be possible for me to come into God's presence? I must come to God. I must meet with God. But I can't because I'm barred by that thick veil that bars me out. And how am I ever going to have hope to come to where God is? And so for thousand years, this yearning This cry of the heart, this desire to come to where God was, it just continued with frustration. And the frustration was really a cry of who? Who will accomplish the breaking down of that veil? Who's going to accomplish the final destruction of the barrier that keeps me back from God? Then it happened. The great event occurred, finally, Mark 15:37 Mark 15:37 when Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost 
and the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. The veil of the temple was destroyed. And that great event made it possible for every man to finally come into where God was. It was the death of the Lord Jesus that opened up this way for man to come to God. It was the blood of the Lord Jesus that removed the barrier, that destroyed the barrier. Because before that, as I said, there was a great fear of coming in. And what made the difference between fear and boldness, fear to come in, boldness to enter, it's Hebrews 10.19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. It's by the blood of Jesus. That's what replaced fear and gave boldness. It gave man this great boldness to come to God by the blood of Jesus. And now, from the words of John 19.30, his last words, it is finished, it is accomplished, as we, as Moses said, behold the blood. We are looking at one great accomplishment when he said it is accomplished. One great accomplishment, which is boldness to enter by the blood of Jesus. We put this down now as the 11th in our list of our accomplishments of the blood of the Lord Jesus. A new boldness to come to God into the spiritual holy of holies. But when we look at this verse, there's a very significant word in Hebrews 10.19, and it's the word brethren. Having therefore brethren boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. This word brethren means that this new boldness to enter into God's presence without fear only applies to the brethren. The brethren or those who have received the Lord Jesus as their own Savior, and he is now the God of their lives. If any person doesn't have this relationship with the Lord Jesus, if any person is not one of the brethren, and I'm not referring to the denomination brethren, of those who have put their trust in the Lord Jesus, they don't have this boldness. They don't have this access into the entrance of God's presence. So verse 19 starts off with having therefore. Now, we need to ask the question whenever you read something like that, is that what is having therefore. And that brings us back to verse 12, Hebrews 10, 12, verse 12. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. So what we're explained here in this verse, in verse 12 here, is that it is one sacrifice for sins forever. What we have in the Lord Jesus is the end of all the sacrifices In the Lord Jesus, we have one single sacrifice that ended all sacrifices. Just think of that statement, one sacrifice for sins forever. That's amazing. Having therefore, in verse 19, is these three amazing words, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once for all. Those are the three words, once for all. Now let's think about that. Let's think about those words, once for all. I mean, try to imagine yourself living in Moses' day and just think of what that word all really means to you. I mean, all meant all the sacrifices that you had to offer. I mean, when the Lord Jesus gave himself to be the once for all sacrifices, he ended the need for all the future sacrifices. 
Just think of all and what it meant, this disturbing cloud, so to speak, that hung over you and really plagued you with this question that was always in your mind, and that is, did I really follow all the instructions correctly? Did I get it right about my offering to God? I mean, uh, for you, the book of Leviticus, it'd be a burdensome book, almost like having to live and keep 613 commandments that you can't even recite. But the book of Leviticus would be a burdensome book because it left you with a lot of questions about this all instructions for the sacrifices that you had to offer. Because you take the book of Leviticus in Moses' day, and you knew from the book of Leviticus there were five offerings that you were responsible to make. Each one of these five offerings continually plagued you with the questions. You would read, for example, Leviticus 1, and you would realize you were responsible to offer the whole burnt offering. You would be plagued by the question, did I have the correct whole burnt offering as detailed Leviticus 1? You would ask the question, was the animal really the best one from my herd? Am I sure? Maybe the other one was better. You would read Leviticus 1.4, and you would say, did I remember to put my hands on the head of the burnt offering? Did I have both hands? Did I really? I can't remember. I must be getting Alzheimer's. Leviticus 1.11. Did I make sure the blood of the burnt offering was sprinkled all around the altar? Did I make sure that priest did that with my blood, the blood that I brought? What if it wasn't? And you'd go on to Leviticus 2, and you'd realize, I'm responsible for the grain offering. The grain offering. And so you'd ask yourself the question, did I have the correct grain offering from Leviticus 2? You would say, Leviticus 2.2, you'd look at that and you'd say, did I remember to put the oil on the flour? I think I did, but am I sure that I put it before the burnt offering? What if I forgot the oil? Leviticus 2.2, you would say, did I remember to mix in the frankincense into the flour of the grain offering, my grain offering? What if I forgot the frankincense? Then you'd go on, you'd read Leviticus 3. You realize, I am responsible to offer the peace offering. And you'd ask yourself the question, did I get the right? Did I get it right? Did I have the right, correct peace offering as detailed in Leviticus 3? And again, Leviticus 3.1, you'd ask the question, was it really the best animal? Did Am I sure it didn't have any blemish? Did I check him right? Did I remember him to teeth him? Did I remember to look at his knees? Did I remember to mucus in his nose? Is he really healthy? What if I didn't? Leviticus 3.2, did I remember again? Did I put my hands on the head before it was killed? Did he put all the blood around the altar? Leviticus 3.4, Leviticus 3.4, and you think about the anatomy, and you'd say, did I remember to remove both the kidneys and the lobe above the liver? I can't remember if I removed both the kidneys. I sort of remember removing it. Maybe it wasn't both. And then you go on to Leviticus 4, and you realize you're responsible for offering the sin offering. And again, You'd ask the question, you'd read Leviticus 4.3, Leviticus 4.3, and you'd say, am I sure it was really a young bullock and not an old one? Did I really check him over well? And again, Leviticus 4.4, same question. Did I remember to put my hands on the head of it? Did I remember that I didn't just drop it off, you know, that it wasn't like, let's see, uh, you know, uh, milk, eggs, and butter, and drop off the offering? Did I do all to make sure that the priest really did dip his finger in the blood of my sin offering? and sprinkle it seven times before the veil of the sanctuary that I couldn't even go into? Did I ask him, did I make sure that you did that? Did you do all this? Leviticus 4, 7. 
Did I do all this to make sure that some of the blood of my sin offering was on the horns of the incense altar inside of a place that I couldn't even go into? Leviticus 4.7, did I make sure the remainder of the blood was poured out at the base of the altar? What if I forgot? Leviticus 4, 7 through 8, did I make sure that all the fat was removed from the sin offering and the two kidneys and the lobe above the liver before it was burned on the altar? What if they weren't? And Leviticus 4, 11 through 12, oh yeah, I almost forgot. Did I remember to make sure that my sin offering was burnt and that I removed the skin and the flesh and the head and the dung and the legs and took them outside the camp and burned them out there? Did I do that? What if I didn't? With all that I have to do when I sin, it's better for me just to sit in my house and not do anything because if I sin, i got a lot of work to do. And then you'd read Leviticus 5 and you'd realize that you're responsible for the trespass offering. And you'd ask yourself the question, again, Leviticus 5.15, did I make sure that the ram for my trespass offering was without any blemish? And Leviticus 5.15, did I remember to add to the trespass offering the correct number of shekels that represented 20% more than I cheated that person out of? What if I shortchanged him? And you would ask these questions, were my five offerings done right for the burn offering and the grain offering and the peace offering and the sin offering and the trespass offering, and it would be hard enough for you just to remember those five offerings, much less all the details that some of which I've gone through here, and you become exhausted And you remember that this has to be done over and over and over again as you offered all these sacrifices and you felt the burden of those sacrifices that had to be offered. That's what's all encompassed in the word all in Hebrews 10.10, all, by the which we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all, for all. So those verses, verses 10 and 12, verses 10 and 12, that's what leads us up to verse 19. It's this once for all, it's the grand point that's leading us up to, it's the verse 10, once for all sacrifice, it's the verse 12, one sacrifice for sins forever, done, it's done, it's all done, at last it's done, and we have here is the, is the finality of all the five ongoing offerings that have all been taken care of now in the one offering and now having therefore, having therefore in verse 19, this once for all sacrifice, having therefore this once for all sacrifice, having therefore this one sacrifice for sins forever of the Lord Jesus, having this therefore, brethren, we have boldness to enter in to the holiest of the blood of Jesus. The point is that the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus was so powerful that it silenced all the demands of those five sacrifices and all the details of those five sacrifices. That's the blood of the Lord Jesus, the once for all, one sacrifice forever. What this gives us is a confidence and a boldness, a boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. And it's this word, enter. We have boldness to enter. And in order to appreciate that, we have to just think about again how much the Holy of Holies was off limits. It was off limits. And it was as if the tabernacle was there. And right when you came to that, to a certain place, it said, this far and no further. There was no access into the Holy of Holies. It was kind of like the Garden of Eden after Adam and Eve had sinned and God put the cherubims there with the flaming fire in Genesis 3.23, Genesis 3.23 and 24. 
and that those cherubims said to Adam and Eve, this far and no further. You cannot come into heaven. It's interesting the Jews call heaven Ganidan. They call it the Garden of Eden. But by their own sin, Adam and Eve were driven out of the Garden of Eden. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711-330, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 